This is a HeadGum Podcast. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Inside Voices. I'm Kevin T. Porter. My guest today is Jaquise Neal. Okay, a little background. Jaquise Neal is a performer and actor. He started his podcast back in 2017 with his friends Edgar Montplacier and Carl Tart. And it's gone through a lot of changes. It was rebooted from the original title, Against the Grain, to the current title, Culture Kings. It switched networks from Boardwalk Audio to iHeartRadio to Earwolf. And it even lost one of its co-hosts when Carl Tart left the show. But through it all, the core of the podcast has been the same. Black men talking about, riffing on, joking about, and thoughtfully analyzing the culture. Which unfortunately, in the white dominant space of podcasting, is still more of a novelty than it ought to be. Now let's hear Jacques describe his own voice. Surprising, if that makes any sense. Because I truly don't get why people like my voice. Uh, I've been told by many people, man, you got a good voice. You got a radio voice. Uh, your voice sounds great. Like I've no, I didn't have a voiceover demo and my voiceover agent came to a show and just hit me up after the show and was like we like your voice you want an agent and i've booked shit and i'm just like i what are y'all hearing i don't like i i i don't hear it i i feel like i sound nasally like my voice is not i i feel like i don't articulate uh super well with some words like words get caught in my throat uh i i just i don't think i have a bad voice I just don't think I have a voice that uh, lives up to what people have told me. So every time I hear it, I'm surprised by it, uh, by what people tell me. In your head, though, what is like the platonic ideal of a great voice if it's not what you're hearing in your own head with you? Like effortless, if that makes any sense. And for me, I don't feel like my voice is effortless. Uh, Like I don't feel like it is. I feel like I, I work very hard to not sound like a maroon. And not like I'm actively, you know, not speaking how I speak or anything like that, but it doesn't feel natural. Like for my voice to be good doesn't feel like a natural thing to me. It feels like it's something I have to work on, which I'm sure other people do too, but but when even when I'm not working on it, people was like, you got a pretty good voice, Jackie. Oh, you said, I can listen to you talk all day. I'm just like, I... I don't know what y'all listening to. <laughs> like, I can listen to certain people talk all day, and I don't think my voice is that voice. So even now, when you're talking, do you feel like you're making calculations about how much effort to put into, like, oh, I should probably have this kind of tone, or I should be whispering a little bit? Like, like is it is it like that, or has it become automatic for you? Um, a little bit of it has become automatic, because I've just been doing behind-microphone work for so long now, uh, but... It is something that I still am conscious about. You know, I'm not actively saying, all right, make sure you hit your T's and make sure you hit your P's and stuff like that. I do think I've kind of trained my voice to naturally do those things when I need it to. Yeah, I don't know. I I've, 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 I just feel like I'm always surprised at what people tell me my voice is because I don't hear it. Uh, like, not that I have a bad voice in my opinion, but I don't have a, I don't have like this great golden voice that, and people haven't said that far, but I don't have this <laughs> wow. great, like, Jackie's man, you got a golden ass <laughs> voice, man. Uh, I don't have this like amazing, like you should be doing radio voice that some people seem to think I have. 
to me. I find that, no, I mean, the thing is like vocal dysmorphia or like whatever the equivalent of body dysmorphia with your voice is very real with people. And like that distance is very real. But I do find it shocking that you think that it doesn't like that those compliments don't line up because I usually prepare at least one or two like counter narratives if if the guest has like a <laughs> has like a negative bent to the way they perceive themselves. And uh-huh. One of them that I came up with is I think you do have an easy voice, like wow. like one of the, like a like a laid back <laughs> person that's like that it is not hustling too much and you don't hear the um, the effort that's being put into it. Mm. Like you can with some people, honestly. I may be yeah. amongst those people, but just in the sense of like, you are someone where it's like, he's taking his time, he's very chill, he's he's in no rush and no hurry, and uh, and and he feels very confident and comfortable. But does does any of that track with you, or do you feel like you're doing things to make it appear that way? Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, when I think of my own voice, I I do think I'm comfortable in it. Um, it's not, it's not like I'm uncomfortable with my voice. Um, I do know my deficiencies. Um, like I, there are some words that I don't articulate well. There are some words that, you know, like if I talk to a bunch of black folks, right? Uh, like back home in Chicago and, and some of them would be like, boy, you got a country ass voice, uh, because I do have like this, uh, this slow drawl to my voice a little bit sometimes or you know like I drag out words like I I get I hear it I know I know that I do those things and and that's very much just my voice and then as I get if I get amped up then I can you know I I can you know hit words more and you know because I'm also a, a theater actor so uh that's a very natural thing for me as well is is projection and and cadence and knowing all those things and knowing how to hit them and blah 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 uh so yeah i i I don't feel like i'm uncomfortable in my voice i just feel like even when i hear my voice back because i know we hear a different version of our voices in our heads so i i do really try not to you know equate it to that but when i hear my voice back i'm just like all right, I don't sound bad, but like I also can hear myself drawing out words that don't need to be drawn out, or you know, like I can hear, you know, my nose is stopped up there, like it feels like it's all the time, and I can hear that, and like I, you know, I, and it doesn't sound, and to me, it doesn't line up to what I listen to and be like, that's a really good ass voice that I hear, you know, um, it doesn't line up to me. People have told me, like, you have a good voice, which is great, and it's nice, it's sweet. And I don't have a bad voice, but I don't have a great voice. Um, like, I don't know music, you know? So, like, I can't harmonize. I can't, like... Do you want to, I, though? Would that be something? I want like, to. You want to, like, do yeah. voice lessons and learn how to do... I okay, do. Okay, here's the third or something, yeah. Yeah, I do. I really want to, because... I would love to know how to sing and not just... Maybe, all right, maybe this is a way to... I, I would love to know how to sing instead of just relying on just my voice. And, and the same thing with like just when I'm regular talking. I would love to... I feel like I... But I, it's the opposite. Like I would love to just rely on my natural voice that people hear instead of subconsciously thinking I have to know how to talk, if that makes any sense. Just make it for you so it's not like even a process that you have to go through before it yes. comes out of you and just be like, but like this is it. Like this is what it is. Exactly. I, don't, I don't have to filter it through anything. It can just be the pure thing of what it is. Exactly. I was just gonna say when if I when I sing, if I'm just singing, like it's great. But then when I, but I want to know how to like make sure I'm hitting these notes and going up when I need to and harmonizing when I need to and, and things like that. Uh, but it's the opposite with when I just am using my regular speaking voice or hosting. I don't want to think about those things even a little bit. And I feel like I do too much. I would imagine too, that even from the time that you first started doing a lot of VO, a lot of podcast stuff, that there's probably been things or habits that you've picked up on or ways you've changed how you've talked in the last few years. 
honestly, it started when I was doing theater. Um, you know, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, so, you know, in the quote-unquote hood. So, you know, the vernacular is what it is. Uh, the Chicago culture is what it is. I, I grew up in a house with my grandparents, who are both from, you know, Mississippi and Arkansas, respectively. Uh, you know, so I, I, I had a lot of twang uh, around me growing up. So when I first started theater, articulation was a big fucking thing because, you know, people in the hood ain't always hitting them T's and, them, you know, we dropping letters on a lot of words and stuff like that. So uh, and I'm not saying that in any negative connotation at all. I'm just saying, you know, if I <laughs> if I have to play Mr. Mushnick in Little Shop of Horrors, I probably have to hit words that, I, you know, I wouldn't hit as somebody from the south side of Chicago, you know, just as an actor. So that's that's not a that's a pretty common thing to to realize. Um, and I think a lot of it, too, was just me just finding my own voice and, and, and growing into my growing into myself, too. So um, but yeah, I, I did have to drop I did have to drop um, just actively not using grammar properly mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um, like you, you know were using grammar not properly on purpose <laughs> yeah yeah i mean to be completely honest with you uh i i basically just had to learn how to code switch uh which is something that i never had to learn how to do before um and and code switch in many ways you know like the high school i went to when i first started acting was the first high school that wasn't predominantly black uh the first school i went to that wasn't predominantly black that's the thing, you know, being black around a whole bunch of suburban white people, uh, you know, we talk differently. So especially coming from the city of Chicago, going to the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, so that was that. And then also acting, you know, like actors code switch, uh, you know, that that's a more political term that isn't really used from the entertainment standpoint. But most act Denzel Washington, when he's in the movie, and when he's just talking regular, he has a different cadence. He has a different way he speaks. He has, you know, that's just what actors and performers do because you are becoming a role. Um, so that's probably the easiest way I can say I had to drop the way I was used to talking was I just had to learn how to code switch. And then as I've gotten older, I've learned how to merge those two things together where I still know how to code switch, but my regular vernacular uh especially if i go back home to chicago uh is a a mixture of the two more than it is when i'm on so to right say. well what what brings it out when you go back home is it talking with old friends or family members what like there's there's certain people i know who like literally when they have more than two drinks and they're from tennessee <laughs> you can start to hear that they're from tennessee yeah <laughs> i'd wonder what the triggers are for you uh probably just comfortability you know, com- comfortability, because I'll even just being in a place that I know feels like home, because uh, L.A. has a lot of Chicago people out here. So, you know, I know, I mean, I live with somebody who is from Chicago, too. So, you know, uh, so it's not just being around people from Chicago, but it is, you know, just the comfortability of knowing I'm home. And, and speaking like it and being around family sometimes definitely helps too. But you just subconsciously drop back into what you know uh, without even thinking about it. Yeah. And not to psych 101 this too much and correct me, but like it, it sounds like it might also be you can let your guard down mm-hmm. in a way. So there's no, okay, I don't need to make a person feel different or weirdly feel responsibility to make them feel safer in some sort of thing i can just talk as authentically and and without thought like you were Mm -hmm. saying before as i want to yeah dude i mean honestly la is such a weird city uh because i mean one any city that's not your city is a weird city even if it becomes home but la is such a weird city because it's so spread out that there is nowhere that I feel like, all right, I'm out on these streets and I'm home. Going back to Chicago, if I'm like on the South Side or in Hyde Park and I'm out on the streets, I'm home. You know, like it's not I, I don't have to I don't have to think about where I am. I know where I am. If I'm on the North Side where I was living for the last seven years before I moved out to L.A., 
uh, I'm home. I'm at the crib. You know, I don't have to think about where I am. I don't have to think about how I walk through the streets. I still know this place. I still know this air. I still know these people. I still know the spirit. Uh, so because of that, you know, it, it, it brings out just my natural uh, speak when I'm talking to people just because of that comfortability uh, behind it. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about the idea of code switching because it's something that like I'm obviously not super adequately equipped to to speak to necessarily. I would be curious to your experience in defining its necessity and and what it was for because I think a lot of people have trouble grasping even when they hear even even when they hear the the definition of it as stated by other people but just code switching is like a, a, a tool of social survival. I'd be curious to hear what your experience was with that. Yeah, for me, honestly, you know, <laughs> it's a comfortability. It, it is how can I make people feel comfortable and accept me uh, type thing. Uh, for instance, when I auditioned for my first play, Oliver Twist, uh, this was in high school. Now, anybody who knows anything about high school drama, uh, like the theater department, will let you know that it's very much like athletics. Uh, it's the same people almost all four years. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, when I first auditioned, it was junior year. So, and not only just junior year, the last play of junior year. So, you know, I'm gearing up to go into, I, I auditioned for this play with a whole bunch of people who are like, you know, this is my time. These are my roles. I've been here, you know, and then here comes this kid with straight back braids, wearing throwback jerseys and, and baggy fucking jeans. You know, I'm not like anybody in this drama department. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Were you, were you in athletics at the time? I played baseball and, you know, um, basketball, but nothing too serious. I wasn't great or good uh, enough to continue I, I ask because level. I do remember the specific threat that a lot of kids in the theater de department felt when a charismatic athlete from the football mm -hmm. team or from baseball would audition and get stuff. Yeah. In the I place. mean, you know, even though I wasn't known as an athlete, I did have that though, you know, because I, I did come in as charismatic and, and, you know, not like the rest of them. You know, I, I was in their eyes cool, you know. Not in my eyes. Um, I very much loved that play. But, you know, in that play is I started to feel like a change in myself, which I'm not disappointed in. I equated to the NBA, uh, like when Allen Iverson was coming out and shit and he had the straight backs and the throwbacks and stuff like that. And then the NBA went through this weird kind of racist phase where it's like, all you guys have to wear uh, is a dress code now, right? And because we don't want to portray that image. Um, so, you know, I came in like that Allen Iverson, then I had on myself to make everybody comfortable with me, put that, you know, that I don't want to portray this image because I want to fit in here type thing, right? Um, and then the NBA morphed into this almost like fashion, like it is a very fashion forward. We, they know who they are type organization, right? And the players and everything. And that's also me. Like as I as I went from who I was when I first started acting and then morphed and now I know exactly who I am. I, I'm myself, you know, I don't have to pretend for anybody. Uh, but the part of code switching that is necessary as black people in white spaces is that, uh, you know, we unfortunately have had an obligation to make sure people are comfortable with our existence and comfortable with our intelligence, comfortable with our uh, worth to the conversation uh, and in the space. And because of that, like if I if I was on a Herald, if I'm on, on my Herald team and I am who I am. But if I come in like every other word, what up, my nigga, you know, and like and, and you know, motherfuckers, y'all niggas get better get that. You know, if I come in like that, people shouldn't feel any different about me, but they will. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They will. Uh, and I know that. And and, you know, it's all about that comfortability 
Um, and I'm not saying like, every, you know, stuff that I was saying was, well, it wasn't vulgar, but it was like outlandish. But, it, <laughs> but like, it, it is that, you know, like I have to, I, I have to know that there is only so much that certain people can take before you can feel as an individual their uncomfortability uh, with the situation, even if it's not conscious or even if it's not even from a negative place, even if it's from a, ah, Jackie, you so crazy. Like, uh, okay, cool, I guess so. Uh, but I'm also just being me, you know? So right, because that's that can, part of it. That can be a subtle way to distance or other a person. It's mm-hmm. just, oh, he's being crazy again. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like a, it feels like an appreciation maybe on paper, but in, in practice, it can feel like a distance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it can definitely feel like a little bit of a distance. Like, the way you're acting right now is slightly b- below normal, uh, but it's still acceptable and we love it. But, you know, it's a little, it's a little meh. And like, you know, that. It is what it is. Uh, I will say, you know, that as we progress in thought and in culture, that some of those things are, you know, starting to lessen a little bit, which is a nice thing. But by the same token, white comfortability is a thing. Um, and 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 I know we're trying to all break that as a as a as a culture, but um, it is something that is a lot more noticeable than our white friends think it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like it's a lot more, it's a lot, the things that, that the, you know, I equate it to being a man uh, when it comes to women's issues. Uh, things that we do as men are a lot more noticeable than we think it is to women. Uh, and, and it's the same thing with race, you know, the, uh, uh, the things that, you know, non-white folk or non-black folks do toward black individuals are a little more noticeable than people think. Uh, and we just kind of swallow it on a daily basis. Uh, and just go about our day. And that's kind of part of the code switching and, the and the speaking to people, uh, aspect of it. Did you get the part in Oliver Twist? Oh, yeah. I got the part. <laughs> the next year, I got more lead roles. I won state. Uh, you know, there were some jealous people. State? Uh, Wait, but... did you do, like, statewide competition for yeah. drama? We did that yeah. in Texas as well. That was... Oh, yeah. That was what a great time. That was one of my favorite I loved it. It was so fun, man. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. I loved it. You know, I, I'm sad that I only had a year of it. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I was able to succeed in it. Um on a personal level and you know as a department which was really fun because uh, i'm also a competitive person but yeah it was uh it was it was it was it was fun i mean like those people event accepted me with open arms once they got to know me and saw well you know i know he just here but damn this, this motherfucker is good <laughs> like yeah. you know uh and you know that's part of it you know you just kind of have to be undeniable sometimes in every single way that you move you know and you know that was one thing my drama teacher told me is you're so natural up there that's why you're so good you're so natural blah 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 you're so easy you're so laid back (laughs) yeah i guess so i guess so see but you know you learn how to use that you learn how to use that and 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 you know people appreciate that and and you know People eventually appreciate things that are good to them, uh, even if it's quote unquote uh, taking your spot or, you know. You have know, you have uh, you felt that that like animosity or like the idea of taking someone else's spot? Not anymore. Um, most of that is because I don't give a fuck. But um, but <laughs> so that's probably all of it, to be honest. But. Um, you know, if I can think outside of that, not really, uh, in my opinion, because especially in the community, I mean, in acting outside of the people who are like, oh, diversity is why white people can't get jobs. But, you know, I don't listen to that. So on a personal and more, you know, connected uh, manner in the community that I'm in. Yeah, I really don't feel that because one thing that people also recognize is hard work. So, you know, they... they they appreciate that uh so they don't feel like you're taking spots when they see the work you're putting into things and also the talent 
that you can possess uh, in those things as well. So, yeah, and even the whole idea of spots is kind of odd in in a sense because it's not like it's not as musical chairsy as people think it is in terms of mm-hmm. like how things shake out. And there are legitimate things where it's like it was between this person, this person, this person got it, and those things do happen. But just in the sense of yeah, people feeling oppressed by the idea of equality. Yeah. If they've been in a position of privilege, it's always like, I don't think this is what you think it is. And especially in a field and in a professional sphere that you operate in with comedy, with podcasts and voiceover stuff, where it's like, this is like, these are not essential services. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> it is not something where it's like the demand is so high. That well, there's all, you, podcasting is an essential service. It po- was on that list. Podcasting is now. Wait, which <laughs> list was that? Remember when, uh, you know, quarantine first started and they was like, these are the list of the things that could keep going. Podcasting right, was yeah. on that list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so in a technical sense, I do love that. I do love this. It's yes, so crazy. I when love people it. come out on their balconies for us at the end of the day and <laughs> bang their pots and pans yes, together. <laughs> yes. Let's give it up for those podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like, yeah, you're you're a lot more comfortable now with the idea of like, not taking a space from somewhere else or even the false dichotomy of that, but literally just like carving the space of your own and, and creating that demand for yourself in that sense. Yeah, I guess so. I hope so. Um, you know, and, and, you know, especially nowadays where, you know, that's a conscious thing with a lot of people and not just on an individual basis. You know, I, I, I hope that, for myself that I, I, I never lose that, you know, I don't have to ask for permission to be in this space that I'm in uh, while also on the same token, making sure that while I do occupy this space, that I do also give up space to people who don't have the same opportunities that I do, like black women and, you know, the the black uh, queer community and, and um you know, and just in general, being a man to toward a woman, regardless of their race or creed or anything like that. Uh, so, you know, that is a that is something that, as I think about my voice, and, and even on the podcasting uh, side, when we have like guests and things like that, uh, is to make sure that I give. I know I have the space and I know I belong. So since I know that, make sure to give the space to others as well. Uh, so others can feel they can use their voice, you know, and I'm using voice in the overall term, but so other people can feel like they can use their voice as well. And, uh, you know, I think that's an important thing as well. Let's take a break from Jack Keese's surprising voice and we'll be right back with more Inside Voices. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Inside Voices. And now, the rest of my conversation with Jacques, which we start by talking about the origin of his podcast, Culture Kings. <laughs> so, this was like 2017, I guess. Um, I wanted to do... Carl was already popular in the podcasting world for like appearances on comedy bang bang and stuff like that edgar had had his own indie podcast so they had you know they had a little experience in the podcasting world i did not i didn't at all but i was talking to a friend 
about starting a challenge podcast, uh, a challenge podcast, uh, MTV The Challenge, uh, which is a reality <laughs> yes, show, which is course. funny because now I have that podcast. Me and Ray Sani uh, have that show called The Deliberation, which is funny. But that's how I wanted. That is the first idea and the first show I wanted to do. And we were taught and, you know, I reached out to somebody who, you know, had an indie podcast network and said, hey, man, I want to get into this. It was Boardwalk Audio at the time. I want to do this. I have this idea. And he was like, great, cool. And the person who I was going to do the show with, we met a couple times, but then everything just kind of fell through. So the show never, we never recorded or did anything. Uh, We never got off the planning process of what the show could be. I still had the itch to want to do a podcast because I just wanted to do something, you know, put something out in the world uh, for something that I liked. Uh, This coincides with me, Carl, and Edgar had did a couple improv shows together. And our name as an improv group was Magic Shave, (laughs) which is a silly name. And we had a wild uh group thread going like between us three where we would like we would just go for like two hours just like paragraphs of shit just talking and talking and talking and talking right talking shit talking uh like talking about things like most of it can never see the light of day of course uh (laughs) and for the listener at home it's important to note that jackie's does have an android so <laughs> Carl and Edgar could not do this on their desktop iMessage. They no, no, loved no. him enough to do it by hand. We on their were phones. just on phone. We were just <laughs> on phone. Uh, so you know, like, so and that was fun. It was always funny and uh, conversation. Uh, we would have retrospective conversation. We would talk about like real shit. And one day, while still wanting to do this podcast. I literally just straight up text both of them. It was like, y'all niggas want to do a podcast? Uh, That was the exact text that I sent them. And they both were like, yeah, let's do it. Um, And so we met for like an hour one day just to like chat it out what we wanted the show to be. And that's when we kind of decided we just wanted to be a conversational, you're like a fly on the wall type show. And then the name came from, you know, the fact that our improv name was Magic Shave. So we were thinking, all right, Magic Shave, Against the Grain. Because at first the show was going to be called Against the Grain with Magic Shave. Uh, and then Stephen Perlstein, who was the head of Boardwalk, was like, uh, I would probably drop Magic Shave because people are going to think this is a show about like Gillette razors or some <laughs> shit, so, which was a good idea. Or about a fictional person named Magic Shave. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was his Justin Timberlake social network drop the thumb. It's clean. Well, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. It is against the grain. I'm your boy, Jackie's Neil. I am the king called Tart, the master of all my domain, but y'all won't. Say like that. nigga, why you got you got nicknames already? Uh, uh, it's your uh, resident sad boy, resident nerd, uh, or resident white sounding black guy, Edgar Mobizier. The only only reason you sound white is because me and Jaquisa come from two very uh, African American populated areas. I'm from Harlem. I don't know what you're talking oh, yeah. about. Well, yeah, you're from Harlem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Clinton yeah. has an office in Harlem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's get let's get some shit out of the way real quick. This is a new podcast. If you are offended by the word nigga, you should go ahead and uh I keep am, it moving. And I won't be using it. Yes you will. I will be using the hard ER. <laughs> for both of y'all. What a way to like that should be our tagline. If you're offended by the word nigga, don't listen to <laughs> don't it. listen to our podcast. So many people you, hear this you hear that Steve even put that on all our social media. <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason, people start listening to it. And by episode 11 of that show, we got approached by um, How Stuff Works, which would eventually become iHeart, to we want to buy your show. Um, so in that way, it was lucky. We didn't pitch to nobody. We didn't. That was nothing that was on our radar. Uh, they kind of approached us and like... That's really that validating. became culture kings. Yeah, yeah, that became culture kings, and yeah, the rest is what it is. What uh, what was the culture kings name meaning? 
Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Here's a list. I mean, oh, that one sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it was honestly. Uh, you know, there's such a storied came... origin story with the first nah. one, and, and it Culture is Kings right. There's a, yeah, Culture Kings was. I mean, marketing. honestly, I liked Against the Grain, but Against the Grain was owned by Boardwalk. Yeah. Uh, as a title, and it was also another podcast out there called Against the Grain. Um, so because of that, changing the name was a must um kings and queens is a very common vernacular very common phrase in the black community so that was part of it and you know for the culture is another very popular and common phrase and vernacular within the black community that was one of the options that one of us threw out all three of us liked it and our only requirement to it was don't spell kings with a z uh spell it like it fucking is spelt uh yeah not like a cool cat in the 90s is trying to sell you like a cereal box yes yeah yeah and that was it that's how yeah we just somebody i forget who pitched it to be honest uh but all three of us liked it was like cool yeah that's fine with us we don't give a shit (laughs) i think i remember you guys talking either in the first episode of culture kings or against the grain that you wanted the show to kind of exists as the view for black men <laughs> that was kind of the uh easiest way that i could explain it was it's like the view just with black men uh because you know i don't watch the view but from my understanding of clips that i've seen and just what the show is it is just a group of women um who just talk about whatever topics they want to talk about topical evergreen whatever right and it's just all right, let's bring this group together. Let's give them a topic and let's let them talk it out, right? Um, and so that's originally what Culture Kings was, um, or Against the Grain was, was that. And when we switched over as Culture Kings, that was how the show, you know, kicked off. Uh, I think about it in like medicine, like how quickly we went from like, oh man, somebody's sick, bring in a pastor to yeah. somebody's sick, go to the doctor. Gotta take up the fucking doctor. <laughs> Fuck a Although pastor. some people still. Don't believe that shit, man. No, or true. they believe God will heal me. And I'm like, all right, man. Yeah, like, God ain't healed nobody else with stage four cancer. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, he hasn't. Wrong. I know somebody. I mean, not he has. But you know what I'm I saying. Know like, <laughs> I've never seen Jaquise quickly retreat. I mean, he he has. But, you know. But in your back of your head, you're just like, that was a God. That, <laughs> that was, was a God. Oncology, right. That was an oncology that was, staff that worked very hard. I don't know. Some people will say it was God. And I, who am I to disagree with that? A scientist. <laughs> <laughs> but some people will believe, like, the, the faith of believing in that higher power of course. is what did it. And and, and I can I, I agree with it. I believe that it's good to believe in something. Yeah. I think religion is dope if it does something for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, the show has morphed quite a bit. We've gone through quite a bit of changes as a show um, as far as just formatting formatting and voice and stuff like that, uh, which is always nice and fun. Yeah, but, is it closer to what you want it to be now than it was before? Um, I Not really, because what, what, what it was before is what we wanted it to be. It's just we outgrew it. Yeah, you know. So what you wanted it. changed. Yeah, yeah. What we wanted changed, and then we changed the show based off of that. Um, so, so yeah, it is. It is what we wanted to be now, um, but it was also what we wanted it to be then as well. Um, I loved Against the Grain. I I loved the format. I loved the trio. Um, I loved the ease of it before we had the pressure of knowing we have way more people listening and also we have careers to think about. Uh, so we can't just be talking as reckless as we were <laughs> on that show. Uh, so, you know, but I, I, I loved the, I loved the ease and the, and just kind of the, fuck it, it is what it is, nature of Against the Grain. So, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily miss it, but and you know this as somebody who hosts a show with multiple people. Everybody needs to be on the same page. So when one person starts to feel, ah, the show isn't quite serving me, then you need to compromise in that way to figure out how the show can serve both of us, you know, if in this case, me and Edgar. And we've both gone through those moments as individuals. Uh, and we can both feel it when those moments are there with the other person. If we're not enjoying the show, then that's going to come through. Um, it's going to come through in our voices. It's going to come through in every aspect of the show. 
so that is always the number one thing is don't let that come through. And the easiest way to not let that come through is to make sure you're enjoying the show that you're doing. Yeah. And especially important when like at the height of it, how many episodes were you guys putting out per week? Oh, good Lord. Quite a few. I, man, I, if I could <laughs> if I could give I heart these hands right now, I would. For, <laughs> I mean, we were doing three episodes a week. Three bro. a week. That's very hard to sustain. And we were getting paid nothing never again um like that was the big thing that was we all we almost wanted to fucking just quit and say we're this is not worth it we're not having a good time audience members were like man we love the three a week and we were like i don't give a single solitary (laughs) fuck what you like yeah i don't care (laughs) yeah i don't give it like i'm this is exhausting this isn't the daily zeitgeist uh you know like we also have lives you're not paying us to come up here and do a radio show. This is a podcast and and we're putting more work into this than we want to. When we approached iHeart for an extreme format change, and not extreme, but when we was like, the show is not what we want it to be, we're changing up how we present the show. Uh, we just straight up told them, and we're going down to two episodes a week. And they was like, well, let's, you know, talk to the sales team, and I'm not trying to air iHeart's laundry i think most networks would have said the same thing that they said but let's talk to the sales team let's you know see you know and we was like we don't give a fuck what the sales team says they can come in here and say if they do three up they have to do three episodes we only recording two so y'all deal with it <laughs> like we were very firm in that and when we moved over to earwolf which is the network we're at now uh we were very firm in the fact that this will not be more than one episode a week show. This will not be that. And and because of that, it really helps keep it fresh, man. It keeps it fresh for us as 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 hosts and creators and content creators of the show. Because, man, you know this. One thing that is very easy to get tired is your voice uh, in more than one ways. Not just, you know, physically, but always feeling like you have to create something and, and, and the pressure, and especially our show where we have the pressure of being a black-led show on a very white network. So, you know, when the whole George Floyd shit happened, people felt like, we got to hear from Culture Kings. And, and we felt, and we wanted to say something too, you know, and we felt a responsibility to say something, but on our own. Uh, but we do carry that pressure of people looking to our show or a show like Yo Is This Racist as the moral compass of a white-dominated space. Um, and that's exhausting. That can be exhausting, too. So, I remember something a friend of mine said uh, when the movement we're in the middle of right now was first starting to bubble up. Is, is she, she was talking from a platform and said, a lot of black people just want to go do their jobs and go home. They don't want yeah. to be your voice and your teacher and your activist to reference. And and I and I think that yeah, I think you articulated that really well in yeah. terms of like the context of doing it on a network like Earwolf where again just in terms of like placation or political cover that could be the case and especially too I think about if you look at the charts on iTunes which are mm-hmm. like a lot of nonsense in a lot of ways those metrics but but they they do represent something and in the recent weeks it has been a lot of black-led podcasts like 1619 or still processing code switch the nod things like that where it it does feel like i and i think all those are terrific shows and i listen to a lot of those but it does on some level feel like okay eat your vegetables now you need to learn yeah. and you need to like do your work and do your research and do your homework. And I think especially operating as, as a black man in comedy where it's like, you probably just want to do your show and go home and speak to whatever you want to speak to as a conscience, but not yeah. feel that undue pressure to be like, okay, we here at Culture Kings, blah, 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 blah. You just want to like, in yeah, some man, ways, it's not, you are. It's, not a, it's not our jobs to use our voices and our souls to educate the masses to dismantle a system that we didn't build <laughs> like it's not that's not our job especially when we have told you already 
nothing that we are saying today is new information. Uh, so, you know, to when, when it comes to using your voice in that way, you know, people do use their voices in that way, but on the same token, these aren't new things that people are saying. Um, so the best thing about Google is you can't exhaust it. <laughs> like fair. you can't, you can't exhaust it. You can, you can be on Google for 24 straight hours and it'll still go as strong as it was the first second you jumped on. I think that is, that was all, that's always a, a thing to remember. Um, willingness to speak is not obligation to. And that's something that a lot of people unfortunately have to learn, myself included, with other causes that are centered around, um, you know, myself and, and my optics. But just because somebody's willing to speak doesn't mean they're obligated to. And just because somebody's willing to use their voice for a certain uh, thing doesn't mean they're obligated to. And the problem is the people who feel that obligation to somebody else's voice. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, the entitlement it's an insane, to that. Yeah. And it's a huge thing with podcasting and just celebrity in general is people feel like they're obligated to you and the parasocial aspect of what we do. And, and, and you know, quite a bit of, you know, just because I talk about my fiance on an episode doesn't mean you're obligated to know everything about her. I remember on Culture Kings, you know, Edgar is very open with having Anna on and people will come at me was like Jackie's well, how come you don't bring Jess on or blah 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 and I'm just like hey, because I don't want to like and I don't have to <laughs> all right like, let me talk show. to your wife <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, what, like, what, what do you is, want <laughs> yeah like yeah. I you know that's like I don't have to fucking it's my show mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and and just because you feel you have an obligation to my life doesn't mean i have to give it to you yeah uh, thankfully that's a weird thing that does seem to be a universal experience with with a certain kind of um podcast host or creator is like yeah managing the entitlement expectations of vulnerability or transparency or how much of your life that you're giving i feel like that's a theme that comes up over and over again in conversations like this is like uh, the difference between giving someone something and, and a person feeling owed it and mm. like being able to demarcate that and draw the line. What What is your impression of like the makeup of the Culture Kings audience and the, and the demographic? It's white. Is it white? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the, the majority of the people who listen to Culture Kings are white people. How does that make you um, feel? I don't think about it too often. We do have people of color. We have a we have a large contingency of people of color listening to it. Uh, I have a, we have a lot of people of color who who connect with the show, who who reach out to us very nicely and tell us how uh, special and important the show is to them as a black person or as a person of color. So it, it's not like it's all white people who listen to it, right? Is that the uh, most meaningful kind of feedback for you when you hear from those people? Yeah, probably. Um, I appreciate that feedback more than, <laughs> more than, and listen, I mean, I appreciate all the feedback. I understand what you're saying, yes. <laughs> I appreciate that feedback more than the, the white fan who comes in my DMs and saying, oh man, I just learned so much from your show, blah, blah, blah. And listen, I appreciate that as well. Uh, but the connection from a black person coming in and saying, like, I, I did a whole bunch of calls with black folks because I'm trying to amplify more black voices uh, during all of this. And, you know, I had not to put her business out too much, but I had a woman who was a STEM researcher uh, who works for NASA and lives in Portland and says she listens to our show. And this is somebody who's not in our demographic at all as far as comedy or anything like that. But she says she listens to our show and it like makes her feel less alone and makes her feel like a little more connected to her voice and, and, and her culture, uh, being a black woman in a very white space of Portland. And like stuff like that is very nice to hear. Um, things like that is very nice to hear because I don't necessarily think we do it for that reason. I don't think we do it. Maybe subconsciously we do, but consciously we don't sit down and do a show and say, let's make sure that we touch the people who need to be touched today. Like that's not our intention at all. 
um, our intention is let's just be ourselves and 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 let everybody know that whatever voice you have belongs in this space. Um, yeah, and the show would probably you know, falter if you went in with those sort of intentions too. Probably. Yeah, I think so. I think so because it would be inauthentic and it would be centered around us, uh, you know, and and we don't need the show. The show we're the host. Like that's enough centering. <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's all the centering we need. Uh, we don't need to center the admiration for the show around us. Um, you know, from a conscious level. I know and it's a complicated thing, and it's one of those things where it's like. Even now in this conversation, I don't want to be like, Chuck Keys, I learned so much from you. Thank you for, <laughs> you know, it's like, there's a paradox. I don't appreciate it, Kevin. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> nah, nah, I appreciate it. I do. I do appreciate it. And and listen, I appreciate it when I hear that too. Um, I really do. Um, it's just the difference in it for me is that I, I just wish that... I do appreciate the fact that people, you know, our non-black and white listeners are listening to the show and saying, speaking to me and making me think of things in ways that I never have. I think that is important. I I truly do, because that's the only that's the only way we can move forward is is if the majority comes down to minority thought, (laughs) you know, Uh, that's the only way we shouldn't have to come up. Uh, You guys should have to come down. And, and if, you know, the things that I'm doing can be a little part of that, I think that's a very important thing. It's just when I hear it, it makes me realize that that is a thing. And it's a, it's a, it's a thing that needs to be fixed and it's continually being fixed and we're not there yet. Uh, So when I hear that, that is why I connect more to, you know, a black person saying, man, I like this makes me feel a little less alone or I, I really look up to what you guys are doing because it's encouraging me to use my voice. That That is a little more special for me because we need as many of those voices as we can possibly have. Uh, and we need as many of those people to not feel like they are voiceless as possible. So I, I think that's just a more important thing from my standpoint well jackie's i'm very glad that you're not voiceless because i like your voice a whole whole lot i think it's so so terrific and so easy and i love listening to it so thanks for doing the show today man listen man i'm surprised to hear that but thank you for saying (laughs) (laughs) and i'm surprised you're surprised but that's what it is (laughs) yeah man thanks for having me on bro i appreciate you kevin Jaquise Neal has a surprising voice, and you can hear that voice on Culture Kings wherever you get your podcasts. Again, I don't know where you get your podcasts, and that's fine as long as you're talking about it with somebody. Inside Voices is produced by me. Our theme music is by Pam Autori. And I'm your host, Kevin T. Porter. Thanks for spending time with us today on Inside Voices. That was a HeadGum Podcast.